Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. The tech field lags behind on workplace gender equality. There's a stark difference in hiring quotas, salary and retention for women in tech compared to their male counterparts, pointing out deeper inequalities and foundational problems in the industry. Today, my guest can talk exactly on this topic. She's a force behind Women Impact Tech, a community for collaboration, professional growth and belonging to inspire, educate, empower and advance women in tech. And that is her big goal. Paula argues that just because a company has a good diversity, equity and inclusion or DEI statement doesn't mean they follow through. It's about building support systems, having an active and purposeful mission to elevate your employees, especially women or other underrepresented groups in your office. Companies must be clear that through action that they believe inclusion is a key contributor to their overall company success. I'm so keen to find out more about this topic. So here we are to discuss the politics of women in tech. Welcome to the podcast, Paula. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since 2017, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution to make the process quick and painless, the way podcasting should be. If you know me, I'm pretty obsessed with quality guests, quality content, and quality sound, and that's what Zencaster allows me to do. Not to mention, it's really easy to use, even for my guests that aren't particularly tech-savvy. There's nothing to download. They just click on the link and we start recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production all in the one tool, you don't have to leave your browser to get each episode done. I want you to have the same great experience that I do for all my podcasts and content needs. So I have a special offer for you. If you go to zen.ai forward slash politics of everything and enter this promo code, you'll get 30% off in your first three months when you sign up to Zencaster Pro. That's Zed. E-N dot A-I, politics of everything. It's now time to share your story. So tell us about young Paula. Did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? Was it, you know, did you want to be an investment banker? Did you want to be the next Steve Jobs? Did you have an idea when you were a kid? And kind of how did you land where you are today in terms of your career trajectory? Yeah. No, Amber, I had no idea. So as a young girl, really young, I remember seeing pictures of these Vegas showgirls with these gorgeous headdresses. So for a very long time, I told everyone that I wanted to be a Vegas showgirl and my parents were absolutely mortified. Um, (laughs) So that was the funny part. And then I went through a stage where I really thought I was going to be a lawyer. And very specifically, I wanted to be a divorce lawyer. I was very interested in and supporting women in these divorce cases where I felt like often women, even in that environment, didn't get a fair shake. Then I went to college, found that I didn't really love the, the courses in law, and found myself really gravitating to courses in English and communication, more of the humanities field, the touchy-feely, you know, speaking opportunities and things like that. And that's really where 
I got my passion for, you know, the gift of gab. So my very first job when I graduated from college, I started working in I own my own business, so I started doing some sales. It was in the restaurant industry. I loved working with the public. I loved feeling that I was making a difference, um, but quickly learned as a young entrepreneur that working, you know, sometimes up to 70 hours a week was just too much. So I decided to go into the workforce, got my first job in working for a publications company. I did fundraisers for schools. I loved that work. And that company, I stayed with them for a decent amount of time, about three or four years. They went through a restructure and I decided to go back and get my master's degree. Wow, that's an incredible journey. (laughs) Yeah, focused on more business since I had spent my, you know, four undergraduate years focused on things that I loved and was more passionate about. I decided if I wanted to go into business, I really needed to get serious and and further my education. So while I was doing that, this organization, a headhunter came after me and wanted me to do staffing and work for this organization called Manpower Group. And Amber, it was interesting. I had told them I was going back to school, didn't think I could balance both. And I tell the funniest story that people still give me a hard time about. But my mom said, I think you need to focus on your MBA and don't try to work while you're doing it. I said, oh, mom, I've done the research. I've looked at my sorority sisters that are in this industry, and it's the pretty girls, not the smart ones. Well, to say that I ate those words for the next 22 (laughs) years is an understatement. Many times in my career at Manpower Group, which lasted many years, I was there for 22 years. It was a fantastic opportunity to grow and develop. And really, I had amazing global opportunities as well as leading their North American sales organization. It was a phenomenal career. But throughout that career, my mom would remind me, are you sure you want to stay in this industry? Remember, this is the pretty girl industry, not the smart girls. You finished your MBA, you've got a lot to offer. You know, would you consider doing something else? And I really stayed for a long time. And part of that is I was given many opportunities. I was one of very few female executives in the organization. And so I felt really honored to have a company that valued me and I felt like I could grow. But towards uh, the last few years during the pandemic, I longed for a career where I could be more focused on some of my passions around diversity and more mission-driven work. So I found this opportunity with Women Impact Tech. It aligned beautifully to the work I had done in the past around staffing and understanding employment and technology, specifically around hiring technology in the marketplace. And it married beautifully with my ambition and desire to do something in the diversity area. And this one just happened to be very focused on equity for women in the workplace. So the rest is history, so they say. I started in October of last year, and I've had the opportunity to really focus on building this business that in the past has been a business very driven towards events and hosting networking opportunities for companies and women technologists. And now we are starting to do memberships and offer thought leadership and really support them in a more holistic way as part of our mission. And it's been an honor to to carry the badge as president for the company. 
So women in tech seem to face so many challenges, which in 2022 is a little bit hard to believe. Um, You know, it's not the 1970s anymore. You talk about the inequity across the board. You know, women tend to be both underpaid and underrepresented. And I I read somewhere, you know, this figure that I think um, your team shared with me that female managers in tech companies make 10% less on average, and their male counterparts across, you know, many major cities, perhaps globally, and they make up just 30% of the total tech workforce and 4% of the computing workforce and no senior leadership roles, generally speaking. I'm wondering how we can speed up the change and sort of, you know, level that playing field. Do you have any ideas? Is there any sort of quicker fixes than just, you know, banging on about this? Yeah, so I would tell you this past, you know, six months, there have been some very promising studies. Some really great organizations are doing research where companies are definitely taking notice that they need to diversify their leadership in the tech area to catch up, right? And really move in a more progressive way with their technology and innovation within their organization and their digital strategies and so on and so forth. So all that looks great. Many companies are even documenting and publicly stating they want to hire women in technical leadership roles, which is even though we've lagged behind in tech in general, leadership is an area that it's been even more dismal when you look at the statistics. So those are very positive signs that companies are recognizing the necessity to actually diversify their leadership and the thoughts of their leadership team to ensure that they're bringing, you know, innovation to their company. And the companies that do that really well, it's documented that they are more profitable at the PL statement. It's especially public companies that publish and document their strategies around equity in the leadership area. So we're seeing very positive signs. And I think it starts with companies and leadership, CEOs, executives, understanding the value that their company can gain from diversifying their leadership, executive team, their boards. So all of those things look great. Where I still have concern, Amber, is that while they're making the right moves, having a deep understanding of what it takes for a female executive to thrive in their career is where I'm concerned we're going to continue to fall short. And that's part of the reason, even when you survey women that are working in tech and the numbers are, you know, low in that low 28 percentile of workers, and then even smaller as you get up towards leadership, Oftentimes, if you survey them, they will tell you they're looking for other opportunities and potentially to leave the tech industry. And that's happening to us at a rate of, you know, about 38% say they're looking for opportunities outside of tech. Yeah, right. When you really deep dive with these women and have good conversations, what we find is the pressures in tech. They don't feel that they're getting the work-life balance that they need, whether that's for parents being a parent or whether it's taking care of elderly parents, but somewhere there is a life cycle requirement where they're needing to support, you know, more of a a whole life or work-life balance, that it's a requirement for them to be able to thrive, to have that flexibility to manage that. And often tech is unforgiving and they don't allow for it. Absolutely. So why should more women want to work in tech? To me, it sounds a bit like they may not want us there and they're not making it any easier. So is there 
if you were going to sell this industry to, to women who, you know, might have an interest, what would you tell them are the good stuff that they can, I guess, hang on to and run with to make sure that it's the right place for them? Because we all want to work in a place that we feel valued and included and not every day feel like it's an uphill battle just to be there. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that they're blazing a trail, right? And that because there are fewer women, the companies that are embracing executive women leaders in tech, they truly are giving them a seat at the table and the opportunity to make a difference in a way that other female leaders in organizations may not be as included. So while the numbers are dismal and while we are continuing to blaze this trail, the women that do take a front row seat and are willing to put in the energy and be the first to blaze that trail or one of the first, they are getting an opportunity to make that journey easier for other women. And if they're passionate about mission and purpose-driven life and work, that's going to be something that strongly appeals to a certain population of women. The pandemic had an impact on women in tech that was stark and women in the tech industry were twice as likely to be laid off than their male counterparts through the pandemic. And like a lot of industries, I think women bore the brunt of, you know, more responsibility, perhaps with home learning with, you know, school-aged children at home. That was my story. More things to do at home to survive that pandemic phase of lockdowns. 54% of women say that the pandemic made it harder for them to even get into tech. Meanwhile, almost 40% of those who maybe were in it were looking to leave and they report dissatisfaction. I think it'd be great to know how we can retain fabulous talent, particularly from women and other people in underrepresented groups, especially in a leadership capacity. We want to have a pathway, I guess, for people to stay in tech and particularly women. Do you have any ideas on how that can happen? Absolutely. I think the first thing that companies need to do is they need to understand what is required for females to thrive in their careers. And I think what we have found is that most women that did take the brunt of the impact of the pandemic in the U.S., I don't know if you had seen these numbers, but it was over 800,000 women that were displaced during the pandemic. And then compared to only 200,000 men that were displaced in the U.S. during the pandemic. And so when you look at that staggering statistic and you understand, just like you said, Amber, most women had the responsibility for taking care of the children that when there was no daycare opportunities, when they were having to homeschool and still be there for their children while they were in a learning environment from home. And it made it almost impossible for them to balance that and continue to be very feel that they could be a contributor in their corporate environment or their work environment. The other thing is that we bore the brunt of elderly care. So when you look at the responsibilities that women have across the board at some type of caregiving, it's either childcare, it's elderly care, but they are typically the sole provider or primary responsible party of caregiving in the family. And because of that, they need flexibility and not just flexibility in the ability to come into a workplace, but flexibility in their scheduling, flexibility in childcare arrangements. They need a backup plan. So companies that have figured this out and are offering innovative solutions around childcare, 
some companies are bringing in and and having a public area where there's like a childcare on premise of their campus and that's working really well most companies that are truly working towards innovation towards driving women and and their careers they're offering that flexibility and allowing them to work more flexible schedules but it is such a small percentage compared to the large tech companies that often are going back even on you know on in the office versus working remote we just need more companies to embrace the culture that it takes for women to be successful and thrive in leadership roles. So who have been your greatest career mentors and why have they made such an impact in your career or life? Oh, such a great question. And there are a ton of, uh, you know, technical leaders that I certainly admire and that paved the way for so many women, both in technology and in, you know, equality. When you look at LGBT rights, there have been amazing women in all those areas. But the ones that had the biggest impact for me were far more personal. So I had a couple of women in my company that really got me motivated and inspired around diversity and ensuring that I had a nice balance between my, I'll call my first hat of my day job and working towards a PL statement and working towards leadership, towards mission and goals and objectives and balancing that with things that I had more passion. So there was a wonderful lady that ran our supplier diversity initiatives at Manpower Group. She got me involved very early as an individual contributor when I was in sales and helped me understand how having that balance and focusing on mentoring other female entrepreneurs in our supply chain could just really add value for your own learning, as well as to feel that you're giving back to your community. So that was a great lesson for me. I was certainly young and ambitious and climbing the corporate ladder and so focused on results and all of the things that it takes to get that next big promotion. She was such an inspiration to give me that balance of finding joy in giving back. And she taught me how essential it was to have that balance and give back, not just to mentor within my own organization, but to mentor other female entrepreneurs who were looking for support and advancement of a lot of their business challenges. So that, you know, her name was Kathy Greco. I can't say enough amazing things about her because she had such an impact on just all the things that transpired later in my career. And then the last one, I I would be remiss if I didn't say my mother. I was an only child, Amber. My mom was an accountant. You know, she worked when many working mothers in the late 60s and 70s weren't working. They were they were definitely at home taking care of their children and, and being a homemaker. And my mother was very passionate about work and she found true passion in contributing in a different way towards work versus just being a mom. And that was a hard journey for her, but she stood her ground and she taught me, you know, we're in a very different time today, but I can remember when I started, you know, really advancing my career, I would wear navy and browns and, you know, gray. And she would say to me, you need to embrace your femininity. You have worked really hard to advance your career and embrace the fact that you're a beautiful woman and wear 
pink and be strong and be proud of that femininity. Don't try to be one of the boys. And I try to keep that in my mind to remember that I can be a proud feminine woman and still be a strong leader. And I never let her words go, you know, unspoken in my head. Absolutely. If we spoke again in a year's time, what would be the number one thing you have hoped to have changed in your business or career and why? Oh, that's a tough one. I would love to see the you know, diversity and equality and inclusion numbers continue to not just in the clients that we serve and help sponsors that are looking for support around those topics, but to continue to see those numbers improve across the globe. And I know women in tech, we've been on a very long journey, but I think we're at the cusp of seeing great transformation. I hope that the pandemic has given us at least some glimmers into if you offer women the opportunity to do work-life balance in a more flexible environment, they can contribute in such a very positive way. I hope we see that that continues post-pandemic in companies and that the numbers continue to show statistically we're making advancement. If in a year's time we could compress those we could, you know, start to close that gap and see more women in tech and more women in technical leadership roles and staying for greater, you know, lengths of time and not statistically saying they're looking for the, another industry or another opportunity. Those would be huge for me. And just personally, Amber, one of my goals is to ensure that we're not just providing at Women Impact Tech a network environment for women in a single venue or at an event, but that we've created an environment and a network that virtually they can continue their mentorships and, and get thought leadership from us and support in their career so that they know they have a partner to come to if they need to make a change in the career so that they can stay in tech and feel supported along that journey. And a final takeaway message for us as we wrap up today on the politics of women in tech. You know, I guess the final message is continue to invest. I think we are seeing young women that are showing extremely strong interest in technology that we haven't seen in the past. I've often said we need to get young girls engaged earlier, get them in STEM activities, allow them to take risks on the playground. Don't discourage them. Don't tell them to be careful. Much like their boy counterparts or their brothers, we need to give them the opportunity to be more risk takers and introduce them to STEM activities. And we are seeing that change. I think we could do more and you can do that as a woman in the industry or outside the industry as a mom, as an aunt, as a friend, as a neighbor, a grandparent. There's so much that you can do to enrich young girls' lives and help expose to them how technology can really change their world. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. If you do want to connect further with Paula, of course, there's some details on our show notes. Until next time, take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.